Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media, and a contributing columnist on CIO.com, where I write about career issues for technology leaders. Our sponsor for today's episode is Fairfax County, Virginia's Economic Development Authority. Innovation and opportunity is all what Fairfax County has to offer, and you're invited to start, expand, or relocate your business to this thriving global technology hub located outside of Washington, D.C. This corporate community is accomplishing mission-critical work for the global technology community and making the world a better place. You can learn more at fairfaxcountyeda.org. We're streaming to you now on both LinkedIn and our YouTube channel, Tech Talk. And we welcome our viewers to uh, tap in with your questions today as part of the conversation. Our editors will be watching for your questions and we'll do our best to pass them along to today's guests who I'm very honored to introduce is Danny Brown, who is the Senior Vice President and CIO of Whirlpool Corporation. Danny joined the company in November of 2020 to lead its global information systems, bringing along with her 20 plus years of IT leadership in digital innovation and business strategy. Whirlpool almost needs no introduction. I think we all know it's the iconic global brand devoted to improving our home lives through an array of kitchen and laundry products and appliances. That portfolio includes so many familiar name brands, KitchenAid, Maytag, Amana, Yumly, and many others. With sales of $22 billion annually, the company employs 69,000 people around the world and has 54 manufacturing and tech research centers. <clears throat> Before her current role as the CIO, Danny served for four years as CIO for Brunswick Corporation, which is a global leader in the recreational boating industry. Before that, she spent 16 years at DuPont in a number of strategic roles, such as CIO for the crop protection business and head of global transformation and productivity. And also since January of 2019, Danny has served as a member of the board of directors for the publicly held PRA group, which is a financial business services company that is one of the largest debt buyers in the world. So very, very busy CIO, and we're so pleased you could join us today, Danny. Welcome. Thank you, Mary Fran, and thank you so much for having me today. I appreciate being here. Well, we've got so much to talk about. Let's start. Let's start about how Whirlpool's digital business models have been adapting and advancing during this period, this last year or two of this great uncertainty. There's been a lot of nesting going on with your customers. We'll kind of <laughs> start out by talking about what impact that has had on the, your digital business model and in fact, how it's becoming more digital. Sure, and wow, what a um, <clears throat> unpredictable couple of years it has been. And I'll start from maybe a big picture perspective. And as you mentioned, Whirlpool, a iconic brand, um, but um, many may, may or may not know our vision as a company has been to be the best kitchen and laundry company in constant pursuit of improving life at home, which has become even more evident and important based upon what we've all experienced over these past couple of years. And so we've so seen true. more people, as you said, nesting at home, you know, being in the home a lot more uh, and using our products. And, and that data, it wasn't just a during the pandemic, but the data continues to show that people are continuing to use our products on a more continuous basis and more frequently. We've also seen people at home researching more, browsing more and purchasing um, online. And all of these things, of course, favor our business. Uh, and is powered by technology. So uh, in the midst yeah. of these, these uncertain years, it has really been uh, you know, transformational for our business as well. Well, and I know one of the things we'll talk a lot about during our time here today is the impact all this has on employees and talent and retaining talent. And as you like to talk about re-recruiting the talent that you have. And I think mm -hmm. so much of uh, so much of the conversations that I have now with CIOs involves not just the productivity lives and the things we do at work, 
but that connection with the home front. And I, I feel like the whole vision of corporate America has in a lot of ways expanded to uh, include uh, the home life, not just to sell products to homeowners, but to find out how employees are doing in it. I don't know, bring it all into kind of that work-life balance that we've all fantasized about at different times during our careers. Absolutely. The two were really merged, the, the work environment and the home environment, whether we wanted it to or not. And uh, many of us struggled mm -hmm. initially to figure that out. But then once we did, it, it be, has become a part of how people want to uh, move forward with their lives, because mm -hmm. in a number of ways, it was enriching to spend more time at home with our families. Yeah. How has that, let's talk first about, uh, I know we have a couple of your, your, your North stars to get to on business mm -hmm. innovation, sure. but how, how have you coming in as the leader at Whirlpool for that, the global technology organization, how has this impacted the IT organization? Did it shift the priorities that you set for your own mm -hmm. people in that organization? Hmm. Good question. It, it's basically when we think about Whirlpool, we've had for a number of years now, uh, four key strategic priorities that really do cut across the globe. Those four strategic priorities remained in place even over the last few years, and it allowed us to even accelerate even more so those priorities. And, and those priorities include things such as delivering product leadership, which Whirlpool has been known for uh, for hundred over a hundred plus years. Um, and when you think about that as the hallmark of our company, even in today's modern times, delivering that product leadership includes data and technology that supports things such as uh -huh. the digital twin and digital thread in our products throughout that product life cycle. And that's where um, the IT organization really has a hand in helping to enable that, uh, that first strategic priority. The second mm -hmm. strategic priority that we have is redefining what a product is. And that's all about leveraging IoT and AI to really support new digital services and new digital products uh, to op that we can offer to our consumers. And our third yeah. strategic priority is really all about winning that digital consumer journey. And again, over the last couple of years, that, that, on, that journey has been online. And that's about really utilizing the technology to be able to engage with the customer, you know, consumers throughout their journey from pre-purchase part of the process to all the way to post-purchase part of the process. And as I mentioned in the beginning, consumers were spending a lot more time online. So that was yeah. another area in which the IT organization could contribute significantly mm -hmm. at the strategic level. And then lastly, our fourth strategic priority is really all about reinventing the value chain. And that's really when you think about end-to-end -end supply chain visibility, we've all experienced supply chain challenges and getting visibility into even further up that uh, value chain really can help enable the business as well as then downstream when you think about manufacturing and um, manufacturing 4.0 and how technology and data and analytics can help gain productivity in manufacturing. So it's really, that's another way in which our organ IT organization was able to work side by side with our business partners to advance that priority. So really end to end, it's our strategic priority stood, stood the test of time and even more so we were able to accelerate those priorities during this time yeah. as well. Well, when you came in in November of 2020, we were several months into the pandemic at that point. Mm -hmm. Did you do any restructuring? Did you create groups that were going to, for instance, accelerate more quickly on, say, the uh, digital product thread development? Mm -hmm. uh, talk a little bit about that, about the kind of changes you brought in with you as you were getting mm -hmm. the, the organization repositioned essentially for this future. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, for me, especially coming into a new organization, so I've been in manufacturing companies all of my career, but everyone yeah. is different. This is a different uh, industry that we're in. So you'll find things that, that are the same, but before I'm a firm believer, before you can start changing anything, you first have to understand, understand that space first. And so initially coming in, I did not 
make cha immediate changes. It was more so about understanding the business and the system that we have working within Whirlpool and how, even more importantly, how we interact with the consumer, how we engage with the consumers, as well as our uh, trade partners in the retail uh, market as well. So a lot of it was for first understanding. Then once I gained um, understanding enough to see what some of those opportunities were, that's where we uh, internally, one of the things that we really started to move forward was quite honestly on the enterprise architecture side. We are a large organization and company and there's lots of opportunities today to leverage those strategic platforms that can also be leveraged globally, but then uh, tailored to the local markets. Mm -hmm. And so we stood back and looked at enterprise architecture and where we might be able to create what we call that composable architecture that allows you to be agile in today's environment, as well as then allows us to leverage and still apply, uh, apply things uh, locally in those markets. Yeah. I've been hearing that term more lately, the composable architecture. And I've just, mm -hmm. one of my sideline pursuits is I'm a classical musician and I play piano and it always makes me think of putting together more of a, it, it's, I like that concept of it being a whole symphony. Um, so composable. It's, it's more of a friendly human type of word than a lot of the things we often come up with in technology. So I like that. Um, <laughs> You had mentioned you'd mentioned one of the strategic pillars being the digital customer journey. And this is not mm -hmm. something you just started focusing on in a year or two ago, but way back Correct. at DuPont, you were doing this at Brunswick, of course. Tell us about how in especially in the last few years and with the impact of the pandemic, what has changed about the digital customer journey and, and how mm -hmm. do you tap into it to take advantage of those changes? Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and, and full honesty and transparency here, Whirlpool as well has been working on the, the full end-to-end -end consumer journey for quite some time, even prior sure. to, to my arrival. And so, but, what I, but for the IT organization and, and by, with my coming into the organization, working across uh, our leadership team, one of the things I always say about IT is we have a unique view within the company. And that, mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is, we can see and we see across the company end to end, uh, mm -hmm. across all of the various processes. And so, with that unique vantage point, um, part of our role, I firmly believe, is to connect a number of those dots. And so, when you think about that end to end yeah. consumer journey, from you know first uh, engaging and researching a product online, all the way mm -hmm. through the purchase, through the post purchase part of the process. Being that our team sees end to end, if different groups are working on different um, threads or pieces of that journey yeah. uh, that may or may not be connected, that's where we have the opportunity to say, Let, let's talk about this uh, as a, a full journey and not just in, well, this is what's going to happen during the purchase part of the process. Well, how does that feed mm -hmm. into when the product is delivered? How does that feed into when someone wants to purchase another product again? We wanna know about what that consumer already has or about that recent purchase. And so that's where mm -hmm. the, when we think about, I'll go back to the word composable, when you think about that technology yeah. and how it's layered together, we have to think about that as an IT organization. That's part of the value we bring to the table. When you think about how mm -hmm. the data is stitched literally needs to be stitched together so that we have full, mm -hmm. so the business partners have full transparency to Danny Brown as a consumer. Mm -hmm. And when we engage with her online, it's personalized now because we know yeah. her and know her history. So those are some of the ways in which the IT organization with uh, my coming in that we wanted to focus on as a leadership team. That's terrific. I like that a lot. Um, when we think about, when you talk about a digital product thread, is what you just explained essentially what you're talking about? Or is there more uh, mm -hmm. like a digital twin aspect of it? Mm -hmm. Is that, that, that's of course related to it. And I have thought of the digital twin as something very specific to the manufacturing industries. But these days you hear about digital twins everywhere. Do you find Correct. yourself explaining that uh, a lot to your business colleagues at, at the C-level mm -hmm. or are they already completely on board with this and understand when you start talking about your digital twin? 
Mm -hmm. I, I would say, and I'll dig into it a little further, I would say that they uh, understand very much so, which is why it's a part of our uh, four strategic pillars. And that, that's one of the great things I love about Whirlpool is that uh, technology and data and how it can help us to gain competitive advantage. That's very much understood at the leadership level. And so I don't have to, and I don't have to explain it, but what we, the way that we talk about it is we talk about there's the digital consumer journey, right? Which is what I just described, which is that uh, pre-purchase all the way to post-purchase and really that loyalty loop. And then there's also mm -hmm. the product life cycle. And that's where we'll talk about the digital twin. And when you think about the product life cycle, you think about how all the way from our global product organization, really designing our products and designing it in a way where it's, it's uh, digital as well. And so you can carry mm -hmm. that digital twin all the way through then to the two things merge to when you think about a product being in a home, if we have that data from the product life cycle merged in with the consumer life cycle, we can feed data back into our, our business to further improve our products. And so they yeah. are two different life cycles, but they, they can merge as well when you think about the product being in the home. So across Whirlpool, organizations really do work together to think about those end-to-end -end yeah. threads. Well, and I think too, with the products we have in our homes, consumers are much more passionately engaged in them. I remember I was, I full disclosure, I have a Maytag, um, the, uh, it's the Whirlpool, the Gemini oven. And I remember when we were upgrading to a new one, I discovered there was this whole thread going on online where people were, mm -hmm. I can't remember what, there was one crowd that was grousing about something and the other crowd that was talking about how great, a, we really get very engaged with our, our products, <laughs> our appliances. We do. And, we do. And um, when you think about, if you about allow that, me, Mary, yeah. Mary Francis, to tell a uh, Mary Francis to tell a very quick story about um, our appliances, because that's one of the other reasons I love, because I can engage with our product yes. as a consumer myself. And I mm -hmm. think about how for the KitchenAid stand mixers, I had purchased one. I still have my grandmother's uh, old KitchenAid oh uh, stand mixer, yeah. and yeah. I keep it. It's it's uh, still there. I keep it, but it's uh, it's for memory, you know, for memory purposes. I remember her baking pies mm. and things like that. Well, I recently bought, brought my mother a uh, KitchenAid stand mixer, and I had engraved in it uh, the Queen because that's what the kids, you oh. know, in our family call her the Queen. And I just oh thought God. about how with that stand mixer, she'll make memories and, you know, more and more memories oh. and it will become just as yeah. cherished. And so it's things like that, you know, it is about, you know, kitchen and laundry, those duties, but at the same time, it's also yeah. about memories. So. Well, and th that is so true. And for years and years, I resisted owning a KitchenAid mixer because I really didn't want to, I always thought of them as something that you make a lot of pies and cookies and cakes with. And I thought, <laughs> what do I need that more of sugar in my life? I'm going to hold off on that. Um, but then during the pandemic, I was one of those lunatics who got into sourdough bread. And I discovered oh, that right. there is nothing better. And I developed some gluten-free sourdough breads to send to my daughter who has, who can't digest gluten. And everything I read was raving about the KitchenAid. So then it was a decision of which one. And I wanted it to mm -hmm. be a red one. And it needed to be a pro yes. 650 and all this stuff. I mean, I can't tell you how much time I spent. And every time I pick that thing up and lug it to the kitchen counter, I just, I fall in love with it all over again. So I'm go. just, I'm shamelessly biased for that. But my daughter-in-law is laughing at me because she has had a KitchenAid mixer forever because she, mm -hmm. she loves making pound cakes. And her mother was working at uh, an appliance store one time and managed to get her like a limited edition lavender color one, which yes. was a uh -huh. really big deal. Yes. So I love that, that yes. you got it engraved with the queen for your mom. <laughs> um, you know, you were making that point about the IT folks being that IT just as a profession is so deeply embedded in everything business is doing. We used to talk about mm -hmm. that at CIO Magazine and, and before that, when I was with Computer World, we would talk about the helicopter view that IT mm -hmm. had of the entire company and how everything ran. But I've revised that in recent years. I think IT has become much more of a central nervous system. I don't think that mm, we're, absolutely. Uh, IT is 
floating above and saying, oh, by the way, that's not working over there. It's, it's getting to that strategic table and finally, finally getting that seat that we wrote about and talked about for the last 10 or 15 years, now that that has truly happened. And I think it has accelerated and deepened a great deal during the pandemic, all pretty much mm -hmm. for the good. Of course, that puts more pressure on IT to deliver, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Good pressure, though. I, I even good our pressure. team, my team mm -hmm. and I, we do. We talk about the fact that uh, you know, within Whirlpool, again, a credit for um, you know my boss who was uh, in the position uh, and set IT up very well mm -hmm. to be in the right. We we work very closely as cross collaborative teams. So it's okay. and redefine the product as an example. It is IT at the table. It's IT. It's our engineering organization. It's our product marketing organization working very closely together to bring that end product to to the market. And mm -hmm. then knowing then once it's brought to the market, how the business wants to leverage that that data uh, for additional insights and to create new products and new services. And so. It, it is a responsibility, but it's what, as you mentioned, where we've been trying to get to over the past, I don't know, umpteen years. And so with that, as an organization, we talk about now that we have that seat, we need to own that seat. We need to lean oh, yeah. into having that, that seat at the table, which means having a voice, which means having a position, which means understanding where technology is going so that, that we can contribute you know, to those discussions. And so I, yes. I think it is a, a privilege to have that role and we have to lean into it. Yeah. Well, not a couple of times I've interviewed CIOs uh, for uh, like our Hall of Fame program, and we'd be at, you know, a big gala event. And we'd be talking about, you know, as they're getting their awards. And I would often ask them, what do they wish they had done sooner in their careers? And mm -hmm. almost to a man and a woman, everybody says, I wish I had spoken up sooner and weighed in on business issues because some mm -hmm. for in many companies, they felt like, well, you know, that's really that the supply chain senior VP, that's his business. And I really shouldn't be weighing in. And every single one of them said, I wish I'd started speaking up 10 years ago. <laughs> so, wow. wow. Um, and and I, I must say, yeah, I've been uh, blessed, mm -hmm. uh, quite honestly, to have had phenomenal mentors early in my career where it was instilled in me that yes, you're coming mm -hmm. to the table with the technology knowledge, but being in a manufacturing company in DuPont at the mm -hmm. time, you have to know the business just as much. You wear two hats. Now, I'll never be deep in marketing or sales, but you have to know the processes just as much because okay. otherwise, how do you know then how the technology can help okay. either productivity or on the business, uh, gaining additional business growth? That's how you know yeah. is by understanding those processes. So. Uh, fortunate, I was able to, that was instilled in me early on. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah, I've known a lot of IT leaders from DuPont and like being from General Electric, it's just a great training ground for that mm -hmm. business strategy, um, that business strategy foundation that I think so many That's CIOs right. are bringing to the table today. <clears throat> we have our first question from our alert okay. and listening audience here, our watching audience, and it's a great one. It fits right into what we were just talking about. The question is, how do you leverage an IT agile environment in conjunction with manufacturing production where the product is using a waterfall process? Oh, that, that is a great question. Isn't and that a great question? I could is, not have thought it, it up myself, which is why I love getting those questions from our audience. So what do you think? Yeah. Well, we've mm. been, um, and you, you've asked about some of the things that my leadership team and I have driven since, since being uh, in Whirlpool. And one of those uh, things is being bimodal, right? Being a bimodal organization, meaning we will continue to have uh, major projects that require that waterfall method, right? Whether it's, and typically that's in the ER, ERP space, you know, as an example, um, and, and other major areas. So we'll continue to have where you need that discipline and that, um, you know, processes where you really define your requirements up front. Some areas will still, and I, I personally, I think will continue to require that for quite some time. But at the same time that we have that, we also have where we are looking, if, if folks are familiar with the PACE model, where it's systems of records require a waterfall, but then you go into systems of differentiation and systems of innovation. 
And that's where now we're seeing platforms that do require more agile um, type of practices and more uh, scrum teams and things of that nature because the systems are implemented, but then those systems are then designed so that you continuously uh, put forward new and additional functionality multiple times, even during a week uh, and yeah. continuously do that. And those are the things that are, you have to be agile because the business environment changes so quickly. And so you want to be able to leverage new and additional functionality in order to help your business continue to have competitive advantage in the marketplace. So we yeah. will continue to have to have both and gain and grow the capabilities and skill sets in both areas. Yeah, I've had a couple of CIOs recently have, have characterized that need for me by saying it's really more important that you're being agile than that you're doing agile. Initially, everyone mm -hmm. thought of agile as a particular set, you know, the, the scrum meetings, the product owners, mm -hmm. the stand up mm -hmm. meetings, all that. It's not yeah. just one little set of processes. It's actually more about being Absolutely. agile and how that applies. It's the mindset. Mm -hmm. It's it the is. mindset. Oh, Correct. Mm hmm. I wanted to circle back around one of the strategic pillars and talk about redefining what a product is. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know, we've got Kitchen and Laurie. Then I remember in the early days of people talking about smart appliances and industry manufacturing 4.0, we all picture our refrigerators talking to us. You know, you open the door and it says, you know, you're running low on milk, you know. So tell me about that. You've got a lot of sensor data. What do you do with sensor data? What are the, is our, is my refrigerator going to start talking to me? At some point. <laughs> I'm like you, I don't want mine talking to me. It'd be, you know, it would be telling me to go to the store all the time, but with a team, but, uh, <laughs> but actually, <laughs> example, uh, maybe if I step back with, with Whirlpool, we are very laser focused on um, what adds value for the consumer, okay. right? Because you can sure. do so much with technology, but if it's not adding value to the consumer, then then it's just technology for the sake of technology. So the way that we think about it is, I'll give you a few examples of that. Um, recently with one of our ovens, uh, the oven itself, we enabled through over the air updates, we enabled um, mm -hmm. fryer, it to be a fryer. That's adding yeah. value to the end consumer. And we, we receive so much uptick, if you will, online because of that feature being rolled out to our consumers. And you can expect to see more of that with our products. Mm -hmm. And when you also another, and that's in the kitchen space. And if you think about in laundry, that's where mm -hmm. we have our load and go washers where you can pour the detergent, uh, you know, for more than one cycle. And then through the app, which is the way that we engage with the consumer, you're mm -hmm. notified when it's time to replenish um, that laundry yeah. detergent. And when you think about then auto replenishing through uh, you know, engaging with Alexa and other connected devices. Yes. Those are value added uh, experiences for the end consumer. So that's what we mean by redefining the product. It's not just a traditional oven or the traditional mm -hmm. laundry um, appliances. It's how do we continue to add value for our consumers through different digital, digital services or even new services? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and of course, as consumers, you know, as millennials and then Gen Z, as they start buying more of their own appliances, they're going to have very digital expectations. You know, they're, you're not, you're not going to see anybody dragging out the manual to figure out how to reset the time clock on the stove. They're going to, it's going to mm -hmm. need to talk them through it. I know mine does that now. It's like, gives you a little digital text where it tells you things about how to do exactly. different things. Comes in very exactly. handy after power outages, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. A question kind of related to this, as we've had a, a real changing pace of business during the pandemic, has this affected or changed in, in any way how do you do your IT planning and budgeting? And I ask that mm. because I've had some conversations with CIOs who, because they are more closely aligned with their business functions, um, and this was especially, this happened to be at a high tech company, and they noticed that mm -hmm. the sales, sales and marketing was moving at a different pace and doing things that actually required them to update more often on how things were going with the business metrics, that sort of thing. So I just wanted to mm -hmm. toss that out there and see, have you had any different approaches to the way you plan and budget for IT? 
Absolutely. I think we have to be in, we'll use overuse word, right? We'll admit that, but the, do it in more of an agile way, right? Meaning okay. that uh, you, you, and I've, people have experienced this for years, but you start the year off one way with a plan and then quickly, yep. you know, a few weeks into the year, the plan changes. And so why not adjust your practices to accommodate for those changes. And so we started oh. to do that more specifically in, you think about those areas of systems of differentiation and innovation. Mm -hmm. Those are the areas where, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you're expected to adjust to the market changes. So when we think about budgets, we adjust for a certain period, you know, within, within the uh, planning cycle. And then if things mm -hmm. change, then we can adjust the uh, the target, right? Or those the functionality that we want to roll out or change. And it's because we've allocated certain portions of funding to that, but knowing that it can, the, the features we're rolling out can adjust within that particular planning period. And I'd say it's the okay. same for other big areas, unless it's like a major ERP program or something like that. We do try to think about it more in anchor because you do need to be able to flex with the business and adjust to various changes along the way. Yep. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. uh, let's pivot over now to talk about one of your favorite topics, talent, and how, yes. you, how you find it, how you keep it, how you get more talent, whether you have <laughs> internship programs. Uh, let's just start in sort of a very big tent, big picture way. And what is your talent strategy as the CIO at Whirlpool? Yeah, that has had had to morph as well over the mm -hmm. last few years, quite honestly. And when you think about if we start from the, the big picture, the, the whole uh, space has really changed when I think about how, and, and every CIO today will talk about talent being a challenge, but I'm one who always looks at both sides of the coin, quite honestly, Mary Fran, I look at it as well as it's an opportunity. Right. So while you've had what I mean by that is while talent, we've lost some some key talent along the along the way just because they've had more opportunities than we've had in yeah. the past. So yeah. my competition for talent is very different than it would have looked a year ago, even meaning that people can mm -hmm. some not all uh, data shows that more companies are doing hybrid or in office, but some are do allowing for remote. And therefore, uh, talent in St. Joseph's, Michigan can be talent for another company in North Carolina, as an example. And so, um, but with those uh, unfortunate, sometimes regrettable leaves, that opens up the opportunity to bring in uh, new talent, bring in new talent or promote from within. And it needs to be a balance of both. And so with that, I'm always for, I got to where I am by people betting on me, people taking a chance, a risk on me, if you mm -hmm. will, sink or swim. You know, I learned through the school mm -hmm. of art, so sink or swim sometimes, but that's how you mm -hmm. learn and grow. So I do believe, and we have promoted talent from within. While at the same time, the opportunity for new talent is just as, um, you know, talent became available and we're willing to listen and give us an ear for what Whirlpool has to offer. And we have a very um, great uh, employee value proposition, right? Especially as a company. And then especially when you take it down to IT, because when I'm talking to prospective candidates, I can talk about how IT is at the table how we are directly connected into unlocking value for the company at a strategic level where, where any true uh, IT, most IT professionals want to be. They want to be able to move the needle, if you will, yeah. whether it's for a company or an industry. And so with that value proposition, that's allowed me to recruit some phenomenal talent um, at the leadership level and throughout the organization. But no doubt it, it has been a challenge. And, and I say, yeah. but that's my number one job. I cannot do anything alone on my own. It mm -hmm. is all dependent upon the talent, whether it's at the leadership level or within the organization. So yes, mm -hmm. I spend a tremendous amount of time in that area because I believe that that's my number one priority. Okay. Well, and I, um, when I think of the early days of the pandemic, back when we were still all daydreaming that this would be, you know, in and done in four to six months right. maximum, right? 
I had right. so many conversations mm-hmm. with CIOs at at more some traditional in some traditional industries, and probably some of them were mm-hmm. manufacturing companies where the assumption was that everybody comes into the building, and mm-hmm. once this once the shackles about where people need to be when you hire them once those were thrown off, I had some CIO friends that were just giddy about it. They said, "Well." I can hire from anywhere now because, you know, people can work remotely. And I would listen to them. I'd say, well, yes, but so can everybody else. So at the same time, (laughs) at the same time that it became remote for everybody, it really became remote for everybody. Um, And I think now uh, I keep hearing the the concept, which I hadn't heard before this year of that idea about re-recruiting your talent. And when I first heard it, I thought that meant, someone who has left for another opportunity and you talk them into coming back. Uh, I used to try to do that when people would leave computer world for another tech publication, I would tell them, well, everyone comes back home to computer world. <laughs> um, so, right. But it actually means before they get a chance to Absolutely. go out the door, you are doing special things for them. And I know you have um, a device called a career compass and that you do That's right. a number of very personal personal meetings with people, probably a lot of them still over video, like we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about mm-hmm. that, about how you as the CIO do that re-recruiting mm-hmm. and how you use that career compass device that you have in Whirlpool. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I think one of the uh, a couple of things, if I talk first about re recruiting, I think it's it mm-hmm. is because uh, employees today have do have many different options, more options than they've had in the past. And so I think as a company, we have to um, work with our talent in order to we have to ensure that we're um, promoting our value proposition as a company, because it's not always about the, uh, of course, financial is one aspect, but then people will typically, there's that saying, people will leave a boss. They don't necessarily leave uh, the company, right? So it's, mm-hmm. and so as a boss, and what do they want from their boss? A lot of times it's about, they want to know that someone cares about their career. And so owning a career is absolutely, it's the employee's role first, Mm -hmm. but then they're partnering with their their manager or their boss or supervisor. They're partnering Mm -hmm. with them because they only have a limited view. And so the tool that we utilize, um, and this helps with re-recruiting because it's about the career and it helps with letting that employee know that you care about their career. So we use a tool called Career Compass. And what that tool is designed for is it, number one, it it shares the experiences that that employee has. When you have different um, leaders or new leaders in an organization, you don't want your your experiences to be forgotten. And so we start with, well, what was uh, that person's career uh, been to date? Then we talk about where is it that you want to go in your career? And when we think about where they want to go, it's not a um, the traditional ladder as it, as it has been in the past. I've heard it referred to as the lattice, right? That there's many different mm-hmm. routes that well, you can better, go. Isn't it? On. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Is you can go sideways and it's something more enjoyable, not always up, up, up. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Because it's about the, it's not necessarily about a job or the promotion. It's about the experiences that someone wants to have in their career, because it's those experiences that I think are required uh, if you want to be a CI, global CIO, or it's the experiences you need mm-hmm. to have if you want to be an enterprise architect. And those experiences will morph over time or organization, what it is today, the roles we have, that will look very different uh, or have some differences at a minimum in three to five years. So how can you say what that role is in three to five years? But let's talk about the experiences that someone may, may want to have. And having right. that type of one-on-one conversation is ways in which you engage with employees. And, and I'm willing to, I do that with any anyone in the organization who, and yes, it requires a lot of time, but I'm open to mm-hmm. it. But anyone in our organization that wants to have a conversation with me, a one-on-one, all they need to do is ping me and we get, um, we get them time on the calendar. But my one um, ticket in, my one uh, requirement I ask is that you come in with your career compass because I want you to have thought about, you know, your career because we do have it for a number of individuals uh, that have to have that career compass, but then it's not, not, 
100% of the organization doesn't have it. So I want to encourage it for everyone. And so that's their, their ticket in, if you will, is to just that's have great. thought through your career with me. So things like that's that, great. I think that really mm -hmm. matter will allow companies to retain talent today. Yeah. Well, this could be if you ever leave Whirlpool and just want to be coffee chats with Danny. It sounds like you could have, <laughs> you know, like a little side business there. That, that could be really cool. Um, the next question on my list is about innovation ecosystems, about any shifts and directions, ways that you approach that. And actually, we have another uh, question, too, from our alert and, and watching audience that fits into that category about whether Whirlpool is one of your business and technology strategies going forward. We'll ever look at uh, offering consumers washer dryer or appliances as a service. That's a very oh, IT industry yeah, question. Interesting, isn't it? You know, interesting question. I, uh, mm -hmm. we think of, I'll answer that by saying we think about many possibilities in the future. So uh -huh. I'll just, I'll mm -hmm. leave it open like that. But what I will mm -hmm. say on the, how we think about technology and the possibilities um, of technology, there's number one, you have to think about what technology is, uh, you know, really mature today versus the technology that is more speculative, you know, in today's mm -hmm. market. And so what's mature today is AI and um, machine learning. You also mm -hmm. have um, natural language processing, you know, or, uh, RPAs, doing technology through RPAs, things of that nature. So you have mm -hmm. those things that we're leveraging today in our business and in our market, but you also have the uh, more speculative technology such as metaverse and, and, and blockchain and right. things of that nature. So for those uh, emerging, if you will, newer technologies, we will experiment internally and, and think about how they might apply to our business and, and how we might, how it can create new or different opportunities. And so I, I'd say we, we do really go the full gamut, but remember I'll back up to things have to add value for end consumer. It can't just be the technology for the sake of it. Okay, good. Well, and this mm -hmm. Uh, second part to that question from uh, the same awesome listener, um, who, mm -hmm. passing along some praise that Whirlpool is truly become an IoT and Internet of Things leader. And then you had noted that through a bimodal, you're giving room to this differentiated approach, systems of records mm -hmm. and waterfall, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So here's the question. Mm -hmm. Besides that, can you also fully automate the commodity aspects of IT, the non-differentiating IT, and move your run capacity to change capacity to keep delivering value faster while giving new perspectives to your IT people? What is your take on this? Sure, yeah, another, another great uh, question, whoever that listener is. <laughs> so yes. I will say, uh, and now I'll, I'll expand it even more so from a leadership perspective, I do, I'm very cognizant, I'll say myself in the leadership team in ensuring that it's not just about the um, sexy, right, aspects of technology <laughs> and that, that upfront yeah. consumer side of things, because the run and maintain organization, as we all found out during the pandemic, whenever we had to shift from all working remote, is apps of the yeah. operational side is absolutely critical in the backbone of our company operating on a day-to-day -day basis. So that job is just as, and the folks who work in that area is just as important as those that are advancing growth or interaction with our consumer. And so now mm -hmm. how we apply technology and innovation in that side is, is we are, um, you know, that's in areas where we can think about how we leverage the cloud environment. And again, very innovative from, I, I give credit where it's due prior to my even coming within Whirlpool and we just continue to accelerate it is we're one of the few companies with our SAP environment in the, in the cloud environment. And so that, that's not an easy lift, right? And it's the no, backbone no. and heart of your company. And so to be able to do that, it takes uh, guts, it takes risk, and it, mm -hmm. it takes knowledgeable team members that, that lean in and, and dig into these sure. areas and want to innovate. And so how does that matter to our business? Well, at the end of the day, mm -hmm. in that run and maintain area, it allows us in that cloud environment to scale up or scale down as business needs mm -hmm. change. It provides an environment that allows us to be able to quickly adjust our business processes in, a, in an agile environment. It allows us to have um, innovate 
you know, when we want to, our engineering yeah. team wants to work in on a new server, it allows us to quickly spin it up and spin it down. And so those backend areas, if you will, those are areas which innovation applies to just as much. And I continue, even with all that has been done to date, I continue to challenge that organization to, okay, what's next, right? What's yeah. that next horizon look like as an organization mm -hmm. so that we can continue to uh, innovate? Well, it sounds like a, a, the way a lot of editors deal with their writers, where you turn in a great story and then they say, oh, that's wonderful. Well, so what are you doing for me now? What's you know, next, what, right? what, what's next? What's next? Let's move this along. I think a lot of CEOs have always, always been that way. I mean, now that we have, we're having many more conversations about at very advanced enterprise data strategies and AI and machine learning and robotic process automation. And I don't think any CIOs get into that kind of detail with their CEOs, not, not unless they like want to just, not unless they want to have their heads examined, right? I mean, you don't right. want to dive too much into the tech stack, but the interest in that, that conviction that there is a gold mine of data that we haven't been able to get to, there's a gold mine in the data mountain. And I feel like the way we that uh, data is getting approached now has uh, mm -hmm. changed so much. And um, tell, talk a little bit about the enterprise data strategy for you at, at Whirlpool. Yeah, great. So number one, I am a, a self-admitted uh, data geek. You know, that was one of the roles that I had uh, way back when. Sure where I had yes. uh, accountability for the data organization. And, and in that role, uh, there was accountability for data governance, as well as the, the time we called big data, right? And, and yeah. I always thought that that was so relevant uh, to have both because you really cannot have one without the other. Now, a lot of the data, more of the data is not internal, but when you are leveraging internal data, you need that governance around that data. And so the two are extremely important. And so fast forward to today's environment, if you think about, I'll go back to uh, one of our priorities around uh, delivering product innovation um, and having that digital twin or that digital thread for the product. That's okay. really where data is fundamental to that, right? And so, and this is working hand in hand and in partnership and with the strategy of our product organization and how do we simplify the data? And then how do we ensure that that data is thread throughout in a digital way or whether it's embedded, you know, within mm -hmm. our, our systems, how do we, our systems of record, how do we ensure that we have the right governance around that product data so that it can be used throughout the full product life cycle? So that's an example of how uh, data governance is critical within our organization. And then when you think about uh, on the analytics side, that that is in almost every single process analytics is uh, a way to unlock value. And when I say every process, that could be from for in the integrated supply chain. That could mm -hmm. be, um, as we talked about, on the consumer side. That could be in consumer services. As consumers yep. call in, how do we leverage that data in order to, um, that's where machine learning can be uh, even more applicable. Where are we seeing common problems from the phone calls that are coming in? So there's not a process mm -hmm. I would say that that I could name where uh, that data and analytics uh, would not be applicable. And for those who, who are familiar with the different maturity of analytics, we are at the full spectrum all the way from descriptive, um, you know, all the way up to where we are using um, analytical AI models uh, across the company. Yeah. And so it depends upon the area. It is applicable across all areas and we have the different levels of mm -hmm. maturity. Yes. Well, it must feel good too that you can finally be openly embracing of the your inner data geek, because yes. I just, you know that they're not you're not called chief information officers for nothing. I mean, the information Absolutely, often is right. all about data. Although uh, legendary CIO Charlie Feld always used to argue that CIO is really chief integration officer because you're essentially mm -hmm. pulling together that. all the technology and business parts of the company. And I'm a I'm a big believer in that as well. Mm -hmm. um, let me ask you along those lines, 
Um, is there emerging tech areas that you pay special attention to when, you know, in your copious spare time, uh, where you make sure to read articles about, you know, obviously AI and uh, analytics would mm -hmm. attract your attention, but is there anything that is coming more out on, you know, edge computing, blockchain? Um, I would be surprised yeah. to have a, one of my recent interviews with a healthcare system CIO. We ended up talking about cryptocurrency. Because where he lives, they're kind. Of, they're expecting mm -hmm. that customers or uh, consumers and patients are going to want to start using cryptocurrencies to pay for their operations mm -hmm. and things like that. So, <laughs> what does that look like for you? What are the emerging tech trends that you keep a special mm -hmm. eye on? Sure, I, th I think that there's a couple. As as you, and this first one will fit in the 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 space of AI and ML, but but it is really the edge computing, right? Because today yeah. the when you think about and that's going back to our connected products. And when you think about yeah. how analytical models will continue to um, grow and we want to continue to get more and more for for speed and efficiency, those mm -hmm. models being closer and closer to the edge, you know, on the product itself. Those are things in which we're um, further exploring. And, and that's why we're always working on the, you know, I think about three horizons, right? The current near term, but at the same time, mm -hmm. you're thinking about that next horizon with some of that technology that is now more mature and that third horizon being technology that's a little further out. Well, AI and ML definitely squarely fits in horizon one and horizon two, so with that, I have to think about edge, the, the infrastructure piece or the um, edge computing that would need to go along with that. In addition to that, I'd also add in there 5G, right? And the impact of 5G okay. uh, yes. to our business, especially in the manufacturing area and uh, logistics and thinking about how 5G um, could impact us, especially in, or enable us even further in the manufacturing space to continue to yeah. automate in, in that area. And the other is, I'd say, again, data, but it's the natural language processing. And that is okay. because it's absolutely key. Whirlpool is, is known for our service as well. And so we want to continue to, uh, that's a differentiator, you know, for us. And so mm -hmm. as we're able to analyze and um, uh, learn off of the data that's coming in to enable us to react faster to customer problems or, or customer needs, that's where mm -hmm. we can leverage natural language processing in the consumer uh, services area. So yeah. those are probably one some of the top three, I'd say that that mm -hmm. near term in that horizon one or horizon two. Yeah, well, and I, I know that it's a very natural human instinct, especially as technology gets more advanced, to be able mm -hmm. to just talk to our machines, you know, to to talk to your oven or exactly. to talk to your washer dryer. Exactly. And I always think mm -hmm. about, and this this is a story back circa 1988 when my my son Kai, who is now uh, he's now a software engineer working for Google, um, mm -hmm. he was he put in a, a do you remember VCR tapes? He put a yes. VCR <laughs> tape in the machine, and then he stood there and he leaned over and he said, "Play." And he looked very frustrated wow. the way a three-year-old can get was like play. So he was interested in voice recognition uh, way before it became anything. I, we didn't even have cell phones then. Oh, um, you could have but, uh, patented that one, that idea. So. I know, I know. I wish we had been filming it, but we probably didn't even have portable. We didn't have cell phones or portable <laughs> cameras then because it would have made such a funny thing, right? It's like play. Um, Let's pivot over now. Uh, you serve on the board of the PRA group. So you are a full-time, extremely engaged CIO who is also a board member of a publicly held company. And that is relatively rare. And also it, it is, of course, a big uh, time commitment and something that you couldn't be doing if Whirlpool wasn't supportive of it. Tell me about how your service on a public board how it has changed your approach or improved or what does it do for you as a working CIO? Yes, I think, and, and to your point, Whirlpool, a uh, great company, they they recognize that that type of experience also makes me 
um, helps me grow as in my on my with my management hat on as well. And mm -hmm. so I really do thank them for allowing me to do that. And so the, the way that it, it, it helps me directly is number one, I'll back up and just take a step back and say with many boards, um, that opportunity for technologists to uh, now sit on public company boards, I believe has come to the forefront because number one, the uh, risk of cyber and it's cybersecurity and it is a cyber attacks are a big business risk. And so there's mm -hmm. that knowledge that boards wanted at the table, as well as the, the technology and the, and the data slash analytics and it being critical to uh, business growth, business um, giving competitive advantage to businesses, no matter what the industries are there's the technology as we've seen over the years can be a disruptor and so that strategic uh, perspective yeah. being on boards and how technology can relate is absolutely critical and so how that has if i bring it back to uh, pra and my experience it's helped me to really if, if we talk about you mentioned this earlier where uh, someone you knew talked about technology within companies sitting, you know, kind of that that level up, if you will, and then kind of looking down, but hands in. Yeah, helicopter I think at the board, view. helicopter view, I think at a board level, it takes you even higher than that, to, meaning to have that mm -hmm. bird's eye view of the company. Yes. And so because they say, you know, it's uh, nose in, fingers out. And so you can't, as a, in my management hat, I can say, okay, here's our strategy. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. And then let, let's move, let's execute. Um, at the board, it's, I, I'm giving, um, provoke, asking provoking questions. I'm asking yeah. questions around how, you know, the risk around the, how far is it going to take us strategically, the growth of the company. I'm asking about the talent within the company. And so it's a totally different view. And it makes mm -hmm. you have a different perspective and lens on the company and what's going to really add that long-term sustainable value in a company. And so now how that yeah. helps me is I integrate that while I have my fingers in, you know, within Whirlpool, mm -hmm. I also can take that step back in the same way as I have to do in my board seat and say, okay, how does this help us long-term in the company? What's the risk to the overall company? How do we think yeah. about, uh, you know, the, the governance, you know, that that as a company that we have to provide, whether it's related to talent or others? I can tell you, you know, real quick, as, as I prepare, I have to present to our um, audit committee as well in cyber. The questions that I ask myself, I say, if I were sitting in that audit committee, these are the questions that I would be asking someone wow. presenting this information, right? So yeah. it just makes you think about things at a even even higher lens. Uh, it's it's such a different perspective, and it it's like you're. I think the using the um, metaphor of a lens. I think it just opens mm -hmm. the lens so much wider. Um, I'm a, yeah, I've been a huge proponent of this myself for the last couple of years, and I think that more companies. Uh, in fact, I know a couple of CIOs who were encouraged to start a search for a board seat by their CEOs. And the one mm -hmm. CEO, basically his attitude was that, well, it's like getting you a whole free ed executive education somewhere else. You know? <laughs> we don't, so we'll benefit so from true. it and we don't have to pay for it. Um, very last question as we're wrapping up here, tell us what you, what you believe the pandemic has taught you or changed in you as a leader. Mm. As a leader, I would say that, and this takes it personal as well, it was the realization mm -hmm. that, and I know a lot of people use this word, and I'll tell you what it means to me, but it was, I am more empathetic. And what that means to me is with that merging of home and, and work, um, I've always, I'm a people person, so I've always, um, you know, we chat about family, we chat about more than just work. But the mm -hmm. immersion of the two gave you a lens more so into the challenges that people have, the struggles that people have, mm -hmm. the additional um, weights that people have in their lives. And so having that um, open view, because you can't hide if kids are running, <laughs> running in the background, <laughs> or you can't hide if, you know, someone is down because they really don't know how they're going to handle childcare when, when the daycare centers were closed or aging parents that they haven't seen. Yeah. So all of those things became, even myself, became more open 
during this time and sharing a lot more about me as people shared a lot more about themselves and it not being a, a bad thing or, or, you know, people are opening up in a more natural ways. And so when I say more empathetic, it's just mm -hmm. really that recognition of how imp even more important the mental health is as well as physical health is because these things merge into how you show up at work. And so yes. as leaders, we need to care, you know, about um, all of it, mm -hmm. because all of that is going to relate to um, how employees are engaging and uh, showing up today. So, yes, yes, it's there's it's no longer seen as a sign of weakness that empathy and exactly. compassion are very much a part of the leadership conversation today. Absolutely. And that's absolutely a wonderful trend. And I'm shocked to see we are out of time. I know you were a little worried oh, wow. we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have <laughs> enough was. to talk about for our time here, but we are actually thank going you. to wrap up now. Now, if wow. you thank you so much for joining me. It's been really wonderful talking to you. And I feel like now I have a straight line into Whirlpool the next time I have a question about what's happening with my Maytag. Oven. You do. I'll know, you do. I'll know who to text. Thanks so much. It's been delightful having <laughs> you here you, today. Marianne. Really appreciate your time. If you joined us late today, do not despair. You can see the full episode of my conversation with Danny later today here on LinkedIn and also on CIO.com and on YouTube's uh, Tech Talk channel, where CIO Leadership Live is also available as audio podcasts wherever you find your podcasts. I hope that you enjoyed uh, taking part or listening into this conversation with CIO Danny Brown of Whirlpool Corporation as much as I did, and that you'll plan on joining me again next time at noon Eastern on Monday, June 27th, when I'll have a special show featuring CIO Ken Grady of IDEX Laboratories and a leadership coach, Seth Rigoletti. We're going to have a, a great in-person three-way conversation in our studio, um, our foundry uh, studio in Needham, Massachusetts. Thanks again for spending the time with us today. And do take a moment to subscribe to our Tech Talk channel on YouTube, where you can find the whole marvelous collection of CIO Leadership Live interviews. Stay safe and well out there, and we'll see you here again next time.